0: Welcome back to the next episode of Three Mics and a Mixer, Alex. What have you been up to in terms of reading? Oh my gosh, what have I been up to in terms of reading? I, I'm putting Alex on the spot. I've here. been doing a
1: book club with uh, with yours truly, John McGee, the redhead over here.
0: Wow, I just we really teed up a topic that is both near and dear to both of us.
1: That's exactly right. But you know what's more important than reading? Our dear friend Lexi Hugendorn. Lexi, how's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. I pronounced that right this time, Guys, no, the you spelling didn't. of this is. What? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's said, okay. I said it so confidently, too. I was like, I'm going to get this right. Hogendorn. No, Hogendorn.
2: Hogendorn, yeah.
1: It's Lexi Hogendorn. So Dorn. remember that, folks, uh, when you <laughs> talk to Lexi at church or wherever you see her out and about, it's Lexi Hogendorn. Um, What's the origin of that
2: name? It's a Dutch name, actually.
1: I feel like all those long ones are. My name is Dutch as well.
2: Oh, so. seriously? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh, There's like an cool. island off of Germany where it originated. Ooh, that's Interesting. Yeah. I'm Irish. I, we know. <laughs> <laughs> but I never guess. <laughs> okay. Um, ladies and gents, we've got an, an exciting episode lined up for you today. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Lexi. So Lexi is from Elmhurst, which is a suburb of Chicago. So she's been here practically her whole life. Um, she's got a large family, mostly brothers as siblings. In fact, only brothers as siblings. She's got three brothers. Yeah. Um, one fun fact is she's got a nephew that's about a year old. Um, Tell us about this nephew. Do you guys get along pretty well?
2: Oh, he's just the cutest ever. He's my favorite. Like, I know a lot of people say this, I'm sure, but I literally think he might be my favorite human being ever. Um, He's just, like, happy all the time and just lives life to the fullest, you know?
1: Well, you get all the joy of being able to, like, snuggle with a little human without any of the responsibility of, like, potentially messing them up for life, you know? (laughs)
2: Lots
0: of pressure. (laughs) And
1: your nephew has a fun nickname.
2: Yes, his name is Post, um, so we call him Posty or Postman. So that's a
1: great name. His name is actually Post. That's not short for anything.
2: Oh yeah, it's a good family, a good Dutch name. Wow, what does yeah. it mean? Oh, I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's like a my grandma's maiden name. Okay, so okay. yeah, that's
1: that's really fun. Yeah. Um, Lexi is a pediatric nurse at Lurie Children's Hospital um, of Pulmonary Medicine, which has to do with asthma-related things, cystic fibrosis. Is it mainly just like throat-lung stuff? Is that what that means? Uh, lungs, Pulmonary? yeah. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, a couple other things to know about Lexi. She has been really into cooking recently. We're going to dive into that because we all love food, don't we? Um, and her favorite place in Chicago is any Stephanie – how do you pronounce her last name? Stephanie Izzard?
2: L- Stephanie Izzard Sorry, I, I'm throwing all these crazy I'm, names out uh, there. What I'm reading
1: is basically Lizard without the L To me, that's Izzard yeah. um, Stephanie uh, Izzard restaurants are a staple of Chicago I have not been to one But The Girl and the Goat is a famous one Do you, do you have a favorite
0: one, Lexi?
2: I like Duck, Duck, Goat It's like her adaptation of um, like Chinese and a little bit of American food And it's just the best
1: Have you tried them all?
2: I've yeah I've been to most of her restaurants in Chicago
1: okay
0: every every time I go to West Loop I realize how lacking of a food scene Lincoln Park has and it makes me sad
2: oh I feel the same way yeah it's it's tough
1: yeah it's like being in Disneyland but for food like really fun for sure so Lexi was like, no. Maybe that's a hot right. take I
2: have. Like, I'm not in on Disney, but, you know, that's okay.
1: <laughs> hey, you can save that for the uh, soapbox
0: if yeah, you, you like. Yeah, there you go.
1: So, Lexi, you've been a nurse now for, what, two and a half years. You graduated in 2019. Most of that time that you've been a nurse was during COVID. And mm-hmm. I saw all over the news just how wild it must have been to be a nurse during the pandemic. Give our, our listeners just a, a closer view into what that was like.
2: Yeah. um, So I had gotten off orientation in February, um, mid-February, and then obviously mid-March, everything kind of shut down. Um, I think, yeah, everything was changing every day. Um, I was on a pulmonary unit, and obviously in the beginning, we thought that um, just like it affected adults with their lungs and their breathing, we thought it would be the same with kids. So a lot of COVID patients would come to my floor. Um, Yeah, it was scary. It was really just like, up in the air i thought that i was gonna get it and get really sick and i couldn't see my family because i thought i was gonna get them sick and yeah it was just kind of like a mental like mind game all the time which is just not not necessarily what you want out of your job
0: when i when i think about nurses i think about the fact that you guys are on the front lines and you are being exposed to covid every single day um did you have any, like, close calls with, like, exposure or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so I actually got COVID um, in June of 2020, uh, so pretty early on, and it wasn't bad. That was the thing. Like I had just a little bit of a sore throat, so it was kind of anticlimactic, just watched a lot of, like, break... Uh, oh my goodness breaking bad. Mm -hmm. Is that the show? show. Yeah, it was the second time I watched it It was kind of random, but watched that the only hard thing was my best friend's wedding was like after Mm -hmm. the 10 days and so It was a little touch and go for a moment whether i'd be able to be in her wedding, but it all worked out
1: And you did end up going
2: I went to the wedding. Wow. It was kind of like a evil eye (laughs) Well, it was kind of the opposite Like I said like hey, I don't think i'm gonna go even though I had two negative tests Her fiance called that morning and was like, "Lex, like you have to go. Like, like she's not going to be able to handle it if you're not at her wedding. Like, everybody in my family is fine. So, yeah. So thanks. uh, Shout out to Teddy for getting me to the wedding."
0: (laughs) Mm. One of the other things that I kind of the headline of one of the headlines of the pandemic was around nurse shortages. How did that did did that affect you? Like, did that affect your day to day at, at work?
2: Yeah, it definitely did. I think. Early on, it was almost the opposite for um, pediatric hospitals because a lot of kids weren't in school anymore, weren't in daycare, so they actually weren't getting sick as often, so we were seeing maybe a little bit higher acuity, um, but less patients, so there were uh, like weeks at a time that we would get furloughed, um, so it was kind of weird. It was like we had this like scary job and everything was changing, but then also there would be weeks that like we weren't getting paid. Um, and I think yeah for pediatric hospitals, uh nursing shortages came quite a bit like after the beginning of the pandemic um But yeah, it's just a little bit different than at all hospitals
1: When did it all start to calm down or return to normalcy or has it yet?
2: Honestly, it kind of it hasn't it hasn't like it feels I think the the Not normal feels normal now to me Mm -hmm. um people used to be able to bring families into the hospital to see their loved ones. Like you could have all your siblings in the hospital room with you, your grandparents. Now we have very restricted visitor policies. Things are still changing. We have to have like increased, um, like PPE protocols. Every kid that comes in the hospital gets COVID tested and before, um, the result comes, we have to just assume that they have it. So that's even different. Just kind of makes everything a little bit more um, like strict, I guess.
1: If you could have a say in moving forward, how hospitals should be engaging with the fact that COVID now exists, what would you say? I mean, I, I heard today that the first major city is now reinstated indoor mask mandates for example. I think Philadelphia has done that. And, you know, so there's there's almost a new heightened awareness of the next wave of COVID. Do you think that these new protocols and this new normal should stay this way? Or at some point, do you think we should revert back to pre-COVID precautions?
2: Yeah. An email went out at one point from the CEO that kind of talked about COVID instead of like a pandemic, it's an endemic. So it's something that, yeah, we are going to have to learn to live with. And um I mean I'm not an anti-masker I'm fine with wearing a mask I've done it for two years now not a big deal to me but also yeah I think um I think we have to start thinking about kind of the more long-term effects um besides just people getting COVID actually um I think just seeing the mental health effects that it's um caused to so many like young adults and even like young young kids up until like I don't know, I've seen six-year-olds in the hospital for um, just like really scary behavior that uh, has, I think, been impacted by the pandemic. So yeah, I think we just have to start thinking a little bit broader and not just so much like what getting that COVID virus would do, but some of the broader effects.
0: I I feel like some of those kind of hospital rules around safety, I think if I were to hypothesize here, would impact pediatric hospitals even more so because kids want to be with their parents and they want to be like, there's the idea of family is so much more uh, kind of present in that, in that context as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember at one point in the beginning it was like only one family, like only one parent could be there. And I mean, I can picture like moms or dads just like crying that they were there alone. They didn't want to be at the hospital. Like nobody wanted to be there. I didn't want to be there. Like, yeah, it was just so scary and then to not have that support from Their loved ones. I think it maybe affected the parents even more than the kids because kids didn't necessarily Always know what was happening and they're kind of like, oh resilient and just mm-hmm. You know joyful and kids great being kids, yeah. kids being kids but but yeah, I mean it definitely I think affected um, Parents probably more so at my hospital
1: There's such a question of like how much agency should you allow in accepting risk for yourself in getting covid like i remember the first couple months of covid i had gone home and, and when seeing my grandparents, they always like parked at the end of the driveway and just kind of waved from their car. And mm-hmm. uh, and so we would have these like super socially distanced hangouts. And then one day, <laughs> we're not even expecting my grandparents and they just barge in the front door and they're like, <laughs> we're here and we're ready to die. <laughs> and they, basically. They, they, were, they were basically like, look, we don't know how many more years we have on this earth and we don't see this going anywhere. We're about to just start living again and let God take us if he wants to. And yeah. it's like, the question is, do you allow those who are willing to take increased risk to take it because it's not just about them right it's about the the other people that they could affect as well if they catch it so i mean it's tough
0: ethically the the risk i feel like the risk equation is a little bit different when there's a communal risk as well as an individual risk with something like covid but yeah i think that's a good it's a good question
2: yeah and i think it's tough like I didn't lose anybody that was super close to me, but I know a lot of people did. And for them, I think, yeah, it just kind of some of that like risk versus reward kind of analysis is a lot different and definitely want to sympathize with those Mm. people that did lose somebody that they love. Um, But yeah, again, just like I mentioned, just some of the longer term effects on mental health and um, yeah, just being isolated, I think in the beginning it was so locked down right it was literally a lockdown and it kind of made sense but i i'm glad that we're still not in that zone because yeah it was it was definitely tough
0: Mm -hmm. so going back to like the hospital structure and administration when we think about like a a system breaking down why is it that kind of nurses are the first ones to feel the pain i feel like I, i heard about nurse shortages and nurses being fatigued by, by COVID. I, I feel like I never heard that about doctors or anyone else in the hospital. So why, why did you guys have to bear the brunt of, brunt of the pain there?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody's heard like the frontline worker and I think there's so many people that are frontline workers besides nurses, but I think on the day to day, I mean, as a nurse, I'm spending maybe nine out of the 12 hours I'm there, like inpatient rooms talking with patients, you know, like actually, I mean, literally like changing diapers, stuff like that. Um, So I think we just like felt it a lot. And I mean, doctors could stand outside of a room and talk to a parent through the door. Like we can't do that. Like we had to be in their faces getting coughed on. Like that's just the nature of the job itself. Um, And not to say doctors didn't have any risk. Like they're still there. They were still you know waking up early putting in long hours but yeah I think just the nature of the job like we had to be in these kids faces and had to be you know like giving the medicines and again just like helping whatever they needed so I think it's just just different but yeah I think that's kind of why we definitely probably felt a little bit of the brunt of that
0: really almost I can almost picture you like the armor of like PPE you're going into battle and you're yeah you were on the front lines in that sense which is terrifying
2: that's what it felt like sometimes like and again like a mask isn't a big deal but those N95s like we had to wear those and you'd be in a room and you'd have to do everything that you normally have to do like we still have to give like bedridden patients baths like it doesn't seem like it's important but like these bigger kids who can't move, like they could have breakdown on their skin. So like you have to move them. You have to give them a bath. Those things take a lot of time and energy and effort. Like we'd be sweat, like dripping sweat. And I mean, I never had it so bad that I had like a scar on my face from a mask, but there were definitely some times that I was just so done with.
1: So you're struggling to do all of the things that you normally need to be doing while wearing a mask, while dealing with extra COVID patients, um, I hear though, there was a knight in shining armor that came to rescue hospitals and that was flex nurses and travel nurses. Is that right? Is that how, uh, is that how we all view them?
2: Oh boy. That's a, yeah. Interesting question. Um, yeah. So I think kind of, it was more fall of 2020 and the tide kind of started to turn. We got a super early flu season, which we see regularly, but it was a little bit more towards, I guess, the end of the summer, um, where usually it's later in the fall, early winter. Um, and I mean, we were full every single day and nurses were either getting COVID. So we just didn't have people that were healthy or, um, we just had people that were quitting and didn't want to, and we weren't taking in, we weren't hiring new nurses. So it was just like a myriad of issues, um, So yeah, they started to offer flex pay so you would get an increase in your hourly base pay So kind of started off at like 30 extra dollars an hour went to like 40 extra dollars an hour literally, they're offering sometimes like upwards of 70 80 dollars extra an hour Mm. for people to pick up which again So cool and that's great. But also I don't think it necessarily like yes it helps very short-term one-day staffing in numbers and ratios which is nice but like there's also a lot of nurses that are working full-time and feel very obligated to pick up these flex shifts and it's not helping burnout because then they're working four or five days a week and yeah you're making a lot of money but like what is a lot of money at the end of the day and I very much found that that like for a little bit I'd pick been picking up these flex shifts a lot and just realizing like this money is not worth it. Like, it's really not worth it to work in an environment that is just really tough and not, like, conducive to many good things. And, um, yeah, so I think that was kind of interesting for me specifically, just realizing, like, oh, like, I guess, yeah, it's nice when you have – or, like, feel a bit more comfortable with your finances, but it also, like, isn't worth, you know, being miserable. (laughs) So –
1: so there's there's the option to reduce shortages of increasing pay and having these flex hours. There's also the option of bringing in traveling nurses. Can you explain briefly that option that hospitals have taken as well and what you think the pros and cons of each are?
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm going to sound like a Debbie Downer. Like it's really not that bad, but yeah, travel nurses. You basically you have an agency that you get hired under, and then they are sending you out to different hospitals for three to six months. Uh, at a time and you're making probably double to triple what you're normally making and getting a living stipend if you um, are coming from out of town so yeah and again like that sounds great and I'm super happy for my friends who have done travel nursing (laughs) because they're making big bucks living in San Diego living in all these cool places but again like normal nurses from Lurie, per se, are leaving to be travel nurses at just another equally struggling (laughs) hospital. So it's kind of this weird, like, dynamic of, oh, it's such a cool opportunity, but at the same time, like, it's really, like, nothing is really a long-term solution. It's very, like, short-term band-aids. And personally, I feel like as a hospital, like, we are, like, trained. That's why we're there to, like, think about these kids' lives as a whole and really – Affect like make long-term solutions for these kids health and just as like a kind of broader level We're not doing that like as an institution. So
1: I Feel like many industries are are shifting to this like outsourced model of talent like Consulting continues to just blow up across industries management consulting HR consulting because companies for whatever reason are incapable of compensating internal workers and managing their hierarchy in such a way that it's sustainable and so everyone just goes to be specialized in one thing and gets paid more so i I mean i don't know what is causing that phenomenon but
2: i know i think it's something to do just like with society and like our culture and even kind of like our age kind of that young to mid 20s like culture is just saying like there always has to be something new there's always something better out there and I think like we're not easily satisfied um and I think yeah travel nursing consulting like some of those things again are are great probably at the end of the day but it gives you a just a very like oh I can go to a new thing I can like really enjoy it for three months and then I can go to my new adventure and everything has to be like this big adventure as opposed to just like I don't know. I think we've just lost, like, the ideal of really being, um, I don't know if, like, grounded is the right word, but, like, really, like, diving deep and building roots and, um, like, settling in a place and, like, almost mastering something. Um, Yeah, I think we've just, like, lost sight of maybe what our parents or grandparents kind of always had in the back of their heads, but...
0: So when you were going through that season during COVID of where it was really lots of pressure, um, lots of time, intense situations, um, that must have been like a really stressful time for you personally. What were some of the ways that you found um, to kind of therapeutically cope with that, uh, so to speak?
2: Um, I mean, to be honest, I think for a while I just didn't. (laughs) Um, And I think yeah it kind of hit me pretty hard like early twenty twenty one um that there was just like a few month period where I just wasn't myself. I like would try to go out and hang out with friends, but I really wasn't having that much fun like or I would having be having to work night shifts um and so I would miss things and then I would be sad that I missed things, but yeah, it was just a lot of my life was really thrown off and Um, as a Christian, I think that was really hard for me because I was like, okay, I love the Lord and I know he loves me and like, I know he has a plan for my life, but it just didn't feel like I was living that and it didn't feel like I was kind of living in light of that and I didn't really know how to like kickstart that. But, um, I think, yeah, through kind of that really, really hard season, um, the Lord showed me that there is so much, um, so much like purpose in suffering and purpose in um i don't want to say like bad days but maybe yeah just like purpose in not feeling great because i think um kind of yeah like the second corinthians like your power is made perfect through weakness
0: so I, i guess one of my initial questions immediate questions is like what does it look like to break that kind of negative cycle
2: for me it kind of looked like one just getting out of some of the (laughs) situations like night shift that was something like I needed to get out of it so um finding a new job like very practical I'm still a nurse I can still use the skills I can still be with patients but not having to do um night shift which is great I think another thing is like I just really had to wrestle with like, okay, like what do I love? What am I passionate about? And I think in that found some things that I never really had been passionate about in the past. Um, And one thing that like sounds kind of silly, but is totally the case is um, cooking for me. And I think there were times that even during COVID, like I would get my little, I don't know, my little, uh food delivery from Instacart or whatever and like cook meals and I think that was like, okay, I have to do this. Like I have to cook. This is like my day-to-day, like just a non-negotiable. You have to do this. So how can I make it fun? And how can I make it something that um not only is like helpful for me, but also kind of looking at like how I can bless other people.
0: And it's really cool. One of the themes that I think is persistent through our podcast episodes is that the idea of creating and using creative energies to build something, whether it's food, whether it's a hobby, whether it's like photography, is such a life-giving experience. For sure. Um, Is there anything like specific about cooking that makes that unique for you?
2: I think just going back to like that time that just was kind of crappy in my life, like sometimes, yeah, thinking about having to like – make three meals a day or thinking about having to like prepare and meal prep for going into work like that was like stressful to me until I kind of got out of that and started to like love it and so I think for me now like I see a meal and I can like find a really fun recipe or something from a different type of cuisine and um I just think okay how can i bless somebody one of my friends or somebody in my family that i know is going through something similar and maybe it's not even like as deep or as like long of a struggle or whatever but it could be uh you know what i know this friend is like really busy with her um school load this week and she has like a big test or you know what i know um my friend hurt her back and so how can i like bless her and it's like okay I need to make food. I love making food. Like I love yeah being creative, finding new things to make, but then also it's like not that hard to just split it in half and <laughs> drive over to my friend's house. So yeah, I think that's been that's been like sweet to be able to find that passion.
1: It's, it's really interesting that you say when you first were were in this difficult season and the thought of cooking was a challenge to you, it then eventually evolved into something that you found joy in. And in this book that John and I were reading for our book club, um, the author had he converted to Greek orthodoxy or something. And as a part of this, you had to go to like Saturday night services before Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he hated it at first. It was something that, that was awful. and um But over time, it was this rhythm that was built into his life that was very like healing and calming and refreshing for him. And I think oftentimes when we're in a negative space, creating rhythm, even if we don't like it, right? Like yeah. people who are depressed or anxious or whatever, oftentimes the best advice you can give them is like, Just clean your room every day or like make your bed every day (laughs) creating forcing rhythm for yourself can Really be healing
2: for sure And I think yeah, I i'm a big planner Um, probably more so now than ever have been in my life. I love a schedule. I love having routine um and Yeah, I think it is so helpful to kind of take some of that like Stress and some of that like unknown of your week and just kind of coming up with a plan sticking to it Um, and I just think like the discipline, um, whoever you are, whether you're a Christian and discipline looks like getting up in the morning to like read, um, and be in the word or to pray, or if it literally is like training for a half marathon and you have to stick to your runs. I think it's just so helpful and I don't think every single person has to be like disciplined in everything they do. And I think sometimes discipline goes overboard. However, I think it is, yeah, just like get out of, um, yeah, like a, like you said, like a negative cycle. Yeah, it does, or it like, does really help.
0: You could say like getting out, getting out of your head.
2: Yeah, like getting out of your head. <laughs> That's a really good really good uh, way to say it.
0: Has that phrase been top of mind for you recently? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was going to say, I think what John is getting at here. Um, yeah, so another thing that was just really, really key, I think, to helping me kind of, yeah, get out of my head is... Um, through our small group, we did a Jenny Allen study called Get Out of Your Head. Yeah, it was kind of just like talking about how like your thoughts and your feelings can really cause like the spiral of, okay, if you're like feeling one way, then you're going to think about things. Let's say we're like, I'm feeling a negative way. Like my thoughts are going to be negative, then my actions are going to probably be negative. Then like if my actions are poor, it's probably going to affect relationships. And then kind of that just like spirals down and then yeah you're just like really in a tough spot so one of the themes that she brought up was um, an idea from Philippians 3. uh, Paul says I count everything as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and I think sometimes when I thought about like okay like I'm feeling this way and I like sometimes I can't control my thoughts right like sometimes I'm going to be sad sometimes I'm going to be mad but how do I count that situation that's making me feel that way as a lost and like get to know who Jesus is um, just more and more fully? Uh, so I think that it was just like, okay, how can I take these thoughts captive um, and really like break that downward spiral into just like feeling really crappy and having that affect life? Like I can be sad and I don't have to let it affect my whole day.
1: Was was this study in particularly in particular I- impactful for the members of your small group? And if so, is there anything unique about the situation that we as Chicagoans have or that we live in that causes us to um, need to to be reminded of that message more frequently?
2: Yeah, I think um, for my small group, we ended up kind of like. Everybody was experiencing different things in their life, obviously, but I think everybody like kind of came together in the fact that like, okay, yeah, I do this. Like I have these negative spirals. Like I feel one way and then it makes my like thoughts just harmful or whatever. And so I think we all like related so well to that. And I think I was surprised going into it. I thought I was going to be the only one that was going to relate to that. (laughs) And then everybody kind of was. And um, I think we just got like super, super close
1: so your group is going close over I, this idea of taking every thought captive, getting out of your head. What did that mean from an application standpoint? How do, how do you flip the script on your negative thinking and change the habits and the actions in your life?
2: Yeah, I think um, one thing that's helpful and one thing that we talked about definitely and yeah, it just helped me in my day to day life was like, okay, being a christian and um like seeking to glorify the lord like loving the lord with all you have like does not mean that your life is going to be easy doesn't mean that um you won't have negative thoughts and you won't have sad feelings all that kind of stuff but i think really okay if this circumstance or this situation in your life um is kind of making you feel one way how can you again just like stop the negative cycle and say like okay lord how can i know you more how can i understand who you are in this situation um as opposed to just like being grumpy and pissed about it and then having it affect everything so i think it's like a perspective and a mind shift switch of not thinking like oh something must be wrong if i'm experiencing something that's not good and not pleasant but um, I can really have like a righteous mindset and I can have a Like mindset that glorifies the lord despite those circumstances
1: Yeah, I, I remember rafe this past sunday Discussed that how we as christians are so used to comfortability in mm-hmm the way that we serve God and we're, we're fine serving God as long as it makes us happy. And as long as we are feeling fulfilled and that's so backwards theologically because the Bible is very clear that Christianity is a very hard walk. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're saying is not necessarily to sit in that sadness and just, you know, wallow in it, but to recognize that my life isn't just about me it's about God's glory. And if I follow him through the sadness and like, push through the pain almost, um, I can, what, I can hopefully get out of it or I can just continue to serve God through it. Is that, is that the idea?
2: Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I think, I think I mentioned it earlier about this idea of just like all suffering does have purpose. I think even just like the Daniel series that we've been going through, um, at church, it's like, the Lord like knew that Daniel and he like sent Daniel to Babylon um, to go into exile. And he just like, he had a specific plan for it. And um,
1: yeah, he, he definitely did. And I feel like this is all related to sort of the lost Art within Christianity of asceticism, and well, um, you're going to
2: need to explain uh, that one,
1: (laughs) John. You're good at defining things. Do you want to jump in? Take it away. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So
0: asceticism basically means like I think the root indicates training, and the idea that you are training your body. I think if we're just quoting Paul, I think Paul talks about training his body so that um, when like he's he's not running the race in vain, and that he's he's a Fighting, not like a. Oh, and this is now. I'm trying to quote scripture, and it's.
1: Do you want me to? Do you want me to jump in with the Merriam-Webster dictionary? Asceticism. <clears throat> no, I, I severe I, self-discipline uh, and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So, fasting could be a form of asceticism. But um, it,
0: the the goal is like it's it's training for yes. like uh, your body's self-control in the in terms of like. God's calling us to a lot of self control in, yeah. in our daily walk. You're
1: you're intentionally resisting pleasure, resisting things that you want, or doing things that you don't want to do for the purpose of training. Like monks and nuns go through a lot of this. They they resist a lot of forms of entertainment and they push mm-hmm. themselves through tons of prayer, kneeling, and things that are like not easy. So that when they you know, need to be serving and mother Teresa went and served in like awful conditions. And part of the reason why they can do that without it, just totally breaking them is their whole lives. They train for this mm-hmm. through the, in, the intentional avoidance of just excess pleasure. Um, and, and so, yes. And what's forward.
0: the antithesis of asceticism is instant
2: gratification,
0: gratification through all sorts of technology means, technological means. So, um, But yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. But it sounds like, I mean, what you're saying is it's, it's embracing asceticism, particularly when you're not happy in life, when you're having, when you're struggling to not immediately run from it. Right. Mm -hmm. But to be comfortable in the uncomfortability in a way.
2: Yeah, for sure. I definitely, yeah, I think that's totally the case. Um, And I think just being um, just like knowing that the Lord hasn't like forsaken you or he hasn't left you because you're feeling one way um, And just really looking for ways that he is in that suffering still
1: So what's next for your group you it sounds like you had a really cool journey um, Going through this study has that had lasting impact and and how do you think you all can still grow together?
2: Um, yeah, so I think, uh, one thing that was super cool was that we were able to multiply. Um, I, I was about to
0: ask if that was <laughs> in the, uh, in the future. That's awesome.
2: Yes. Yeah, so we, um, became out of one really, really big group. We would have literally like 18 girls sometimes and none of us had like huge houses. So it was a little crazy. Um, but we, uh, multiplied into two groups. Um, and I think, yeah, one thing that, just in my life, I'm thinking a lot about, and I think, um, I can totally see just in the hearts of a lot of the girls that are in my group is like, we just want to see people come to know Christ. Like we want to, um, like be inviting people into that group and we want to invite friends like who may like be like Christian by name. um, but just don't have like a strong community like we want to invite them into that and then kind of from that group and from like the way that we're like fed like spiritually and um just uh, socially like in that group that we can go out like to our workplaces and just kind of share in like what the lord has done in each of our lives um and yeah, I've totally I've seen that kind of mindset affect um, my life and the way that I um, just have different conversations with coworkers. Um, I've seen it affect my friends' lives as we like go to the gym and climb or you know just like do different activities that we normally do. But just like having that always like on our heart and on our mind of like how can we like be showing the love of Christ to people who don't know the truth.
0: And this is like a a tangential question, but (laughs) when you use the word multiply for those who aren't in the park community, what do you mean when you say multiply and why do we call small group division and separation multiplication?
2: Yeah. So I think like ultimately um, that's just like the goal of, um, small group and honestly like the goal of um and kind of purpose of like the christian walk right like we don't want to just be with our same six people all the time and i think one life would just be like a lot smaller if that were the case but also like my purpose as a christian is to like glorify the lord bring people to know him like like not be ashamed of the gospel spread like spread the truth of the gospel to everybody i know and everybody i interact with right so i think yeah we want to see these groups multiply and get bigger and bigger and bigger and we want one group to become two groups to then become four groups to then become however even 16 groups or whatever that would be um so yeah i think that's just like the goal and i think yes it is kind of a a park term but i think just like as a christian that's our goal in life and like we want to see um again that idea of like one becoming two two becoming four four becoming i I really don't know the math i said 16 is it 16 (laughs) it depends if it's an
0: exponential or just a slope curve. (laughs) Um, oh man out Some like algebra there for you. You guys are really
2: smart. I'm like trying to get on your level by like (laughs) Coming up with these uh, equations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean so uh, Man, I had a thought there that just flew away. Did you have one John? Otherwise I can try and think of it again
0: I just want to put you on the spot here and make you think of this uh, Make it make you think of this
1: thought on air. I'm not gonna cut any of this. Okay, here we go
2: This is happening ready
1: for this folks. This is about to blow your mind. So think of Christians as video game characters. <laughs> so we're I all in like a video game. Yeah. We're all in a video game and like just as in most video games where you're trying to level up different parts of your character if you think of like RuneScape or something you're like trying to get better archery or something different small groups focus on different things at different times. Like right now it seems like the emphasis of your small group right right now is like spreading and multiplication and evangelism. There's also small groups that really try and emphasize like worship and prayer and and investing in the Lord. And you went through a season of, of personal development as well. So it's almost like as when you're, when you're growing as a Christian, there's different categorizations of how we need to continue to like grow and balance those out over time. Because I've heard of small groups where it's like, yeah, literally we just prayed the whole time. Like we, we opened the Bible like a bit, but it was a lot of prayer. Um, So do you think that Bible studies need to follow a certain equation, like study the Bible 90% of the time, or can they fluctuate in different seasons?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that one, I just, I think the word like small group versus Bible study, right? Like when you're in a Bible study, you should be studying the Bible for the majority of the time when you're in the small group, like your whole conversation should be informed by like what the Lord is doing, like what you're learning through the word and like studying the word together in community should be definitely a part of it. But also I think like goes beyond just, you know, historical context and exegesis and all that stuff. Like it's more like application. What does this mean for your life? And I think, I mean, that's where I really appreciate my small group leaders um from this like last fall um they just like prayed a lot and I think like had a lot of conversations with girls of like okay what what is everybody like thinking about or struggling with or really like looking for like what what are people hungry for in our group and I think that led us to the you know get out of your head study um and I think when a study is done really well it won't just be like oh, I'm going to learn that for a season and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. It's like, no, I mean, we still talk about get out the get out of your head study. We still talk about that. I still will think about it like, okay, Lord, like I'm feeling sad right now, but just because I'm feeling sad, like doesn't mean you've left me. doesn't mean that, um, you know, like I just, I still use some of those concepts. So I think, yeah, it just a good solid study and like when you're really learning and growing together with uh, men or women in your group, uh, it really has lasting effects and just isn't just for the season. Even if you're switching obviously uh, specific topics or books that you're studying.
0: I would really like to dive into this topic further and I would almost want to talk about this in our bonus pod that's coming up here, Alex, because I think it'd be really fun to expound on this more. Um, But we are running low on time here, Um, so Lexi, at the end of every podcast um, episode, as you may know, uh, we have our guests uh, get on a soapbox and talk to us about something they're very passionate about. So Lexi, the soapbox is yours.
2: My soapbox is that Spirit truly is the worst airline. I know people make a lot of jokes from it. I was on a flight one time. We were about 20 minutes from landing. The cabin, you know, starts shuffling around, getting your seatbelts on. One of the flight attendants comes in the middle of the aisle, yell, like yells back to her crewmate in the back and says, oh aren't you supposed to be securing the cabin for landing? That's not my job. I'm not doing that. Aren't you supposed to secure the cabin for landing? And I was like, who's securing the cabin for landing? Because it sure as heck ain't me and somebody's (laughs) got to be doing this. So Spirit truly is the worst and I know it's probably the cheapest, but with those extra bag fees, just...
1: Well, they won't even be the cheapest soon. They're merging with Frontier and they're about to form like a mega crappy company. (laughs) Oh,
2: that's just not a good idea in the making.
1: Plus,
0: like you're like, okay, I I want to cut corners, but not in areas that would put my life at risk, like preparing the cabin for landing. Exactly.
2: (laughs) I'd rather have the and prepared. this is great
0: because our podcast is actually sponsored by united and so we'll get some
1: uh- <laughs> um because if, 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 if you're wondering why john keeps talking about sponsorship so much every episode <laughs> it's because he's just so broke and is just <laughs> dying to get sponsored uh you can venmo me for donations maybe you should become a nurse and uh get this flex get that hours. flex day uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah don't do it don't um- do it no just kidding do it <laughs> well ladies and gentlemen I don't know about you, but I feel way smarter after talking to Lexi. I know all about being a nurse practitioner. Actually, I know nothing about being a nurse practitioner. We didn't talk about being a nurse practitioner. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was pre pod. Well, I I know a lot more about the difficulties of being a nurse. Um, Wait, can I ask a bonus question? Yeah, Yeah. I mean.
0: What's the difference between a nurse and a nurse practitioner? I should know this, but I don't.
2: Yeah, so a nurse practitioner is basically a mid level provider. So you can do a, a lot of similar things, a lot of similar responsibilities as a doctor. Like you can prescribe medications in most states. Um, and you can have your own practice right yeah and you're doing more of like the diagnosis as opposed to just like management got it
1: well we're gonna keep fleshing this out a bit more but um we are at time ladies and gentlemen it's been a pleasure lexi thanks for coming on
2: thanks for having me guys
1: until next time bye everyone
2: bye